0: Welcome. This is a human interest podcast made up of stories about people who are traveling about by train or bus. The stories, 15 or 20 minutes long, are based on actual experiences that have occurred across the United States. Welcome to Rails and Trails. Hello, listeners. This episode of Rails and Trails podcast follows a decidedly different path than those preceding it. Both the format and content go beyond stories about the persons and incidents that I encounter while riding on trains and buses. This expanded focus takes a wider and deeper view of train travel by exploring the significance of trains in the world of recorded music. If enough of you like it, I expect to do a similar project with bus travel in the future. The good Lord knows there is plenty of material available. Herbert Hoover Presidential Library, located in West Branch, Iowa, recently hosted an exhibit titled 1968, A Folsom Redemption. It's a traveling exhibit of mostly black and white photographs that chronicle one of the truly iconic moments in American music history and the musical icon, the man whose honest humanity saw its possibilities. That man is Johnny Cash, and the event was a live prison concert and recording session. The performance took place twice. Yes, two times, same program, two different audiences. On January 13, 1968, with an audience of 300 inmates attending each time. There was a freelance journalist named Gene Bailey there, photographer Dan Pausch, and a preacher, Reverend Floyd Gressett. Of course, there were guards and other officials. June Cash and Johnny's dad, Ray Cash, were also in the house. Reverend Gressett had a role in bringing about this unusual event. He was a friend of John's and had long been active in prison ministry. Together with his band, the Tennessee Three, And an opening act by the Statler brothers, the man in black entertained, bonded, and you might even say had fellowship with this group of men in a way that would have life changing and, in a couple of instances, career launching implications. Among the inmates attending was Merle Haggard, who was also present at a performance Johnny gave at San Quentin a decade before. It's reported that Merle points to the experience as inspiration to write his own path in country music. An inmate named Glenn Shirley watched in exuberant disbelief as his life was forever changed in a moment. Glenn had penned a song titled Greystone Chapel. Reverend Gressett had asked Johnny to listen to a recording of it in the hotel room the night before the show. The next day, John announced to the inmate audience from the stage that he was going to perform a song written by one of the men here today. Before breaking into the lyrics, there's a grey stone chapel here at Folsom, a house of worship in a den of sin. You wouldn't think that God had a place here at Folsom, but he saved the souls of many lost men. It was just the beginning of a deeply significant relationship. The inmates' reception, their admiration and appreciation for the man in black, was in the vein of kinship. Although he never truly did time, many expressed how they felt that he is like one of us. The recording was a timely event for John, too. He had been in a rough patch. It had been five years since having a number one single or record. That would begin to change once the attendees, coached to hold their applause, erupted upon hearing the familiar words, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. That was their green light to applaud, and they did with appreciation and a mighty energy. Sounds like an amazing concert, you might be saying, but what's that got to do with riding on trains or buses? My own introduction to Johnny Cash happened on a dusty Midwestern gravel road in the early 1960s. I was maybe five, no more than six years old. We were riding in an early 1960s Dodge. The driver was my oldest brother, Stan. Stan was 18 years older than me, and at that time I knew three things about him. Number one, he was a truck driver. Truck drivers were a proud group in those years. Like the sailor name and the locket worn by Brandy, these guys existed in the realm of legend. They wore cowboy hats and boots, finely tooled leather belts with polished buckles from which a striking chain was draped. Chain was attached to an oversized billful that contained a fulsome amount of cash. For MasterCard and Visa were still years away. Number two, he was the tallest person in the world to me, around six foot seven inches. And number three, he listened to country music. Truck driving and the genre of music we call country were woven as one fabric. Such was the case with my brother. To operate this Dodge sedan, you had to steer and be good at pushing buttons on the dash. I guess there was the pedals part, too, but I wasn't paying any attention to that. The buttons that got all of the attention were for shifting the automatic transmission and changing stations on the AM radio. Something must have come on the station that didn't suit his mood, because he reached his long arm across the width of the dashboard and punched in a shiny chrome button shooting the needle across the radio's faceplate. The timing was perfect. I heard the movement of the button, followed by a strumming guitar, and affirmative excitement from Stan. We landed at the very start of the song. He reached over again to turn up the volume as I heard a deep voice sing, I hear that train a comin', It's rollin' round the bend. My own introduction to Johnny Cash was shaped around the image of a train. Out in the country somewhere, whistleblowing, getting the best of a curve in the railroad tracks. There would never be a disassociation of the two. A mention of Johnny Cash was cinched to a thought or a vision of a train. Like the encouragement to take five snaps Brewback to mind. And like the panoramic vastness of America floods my brain at the hearing of Woody Guthrie's This Land Is Your Land. My regular listeners know by now that Rails and Trails is a human interest podcast, and that its content has to do with what's happening on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. In this episode, and here and there with others, I'm exploring those sacred connections that are recurring themes in music, starting today with Johnny Cash. Train travel as a metaphor is a rich soil that is ready to be turned and a recurring theme in Johnny Cash's songs. His discography is loaded with train songs, and many, maybe most, possess metaphorical themes. Today I'd like to explore just a few of his songs that have something to say about trains and times of transition and redemption. I'm not posting any recorded samples here today out of consideration for ownership rights. Your homework is to go listen to the titles that you find an interest in or create your own trains playlist featuring the man in black. So let's get a look at some of Johnny's train songs, beginning with times of transition. A friend of mine lives by the assertion that transition defines both music and life. Everybody knows songs that have amazing bridges or perfect modulations, or you can kick it upstairs or down and something magical happens. Similarly, if we've lived long enough, we've experienced movement or transition in our own lives during a time of change, job changes, relationships, health matters, etc., etc. I'd like to start with Johnny's first recording with his original band, The Tennessee Two, made up of guitar player Luther Perkins and bassist Marshall Grant. They wouldn't have a drummer until 1960, when Fluke Holland joined them, and they became the Tennessee Three. Sam Phillips at Sun Records wasn't on board with recording a gospel song, wanting something more like Elvis. Johnny and the Tennessee Two came back with Hey Porter. Sam Phillips liked it, and they went right into the studio. It's a story about a veteran on a train, riding home in the South after being overseas. He is so excited and so anxious to get back home, he's pestering the porter repeatedly for progress updates. You veterans who have served on foreign shores can probably relate to this kind of transitional experience and the anticipation of coming home. To add some context, the record was released in 1955, and we were just a decade removed from World War II, and not even two years out of Korea. I'm sure it resonated with a lot of folks. Fifteen years later, 1970, brought the release of an album titled Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Included on the album is a song called I've Got a Thing About Trains. The song was written by Jack Clement, or Cowboy Jack Clement as he was known. Jack was a gifted musician, songwriter, engineer, and a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame. He worked at Sun Records in the late 50s, where he wrote Guess Things Happen That Way a hit recorded by Johnny in 1958. I've Got a Thing About Trains showcases the unique talent John had for creating train sounds in his play. Both his playing and his voice leave no question who you're listening to. It's the quintessential song about transition. In this case, a hearkening to the painful truth about the future of travel in a new era. I get a sad kind of feeling when I see a passenger train in this fast-moving world that we live in. Nobody rides them much these days. Put a fine point on the prophetic nature of these lyrics. Consider that the release of this album in 1970 was followed by the launch of Amtrak on May 1st of 1971. Among the first actions taken by Amtrak was reduction of passenger routes from over 360 to just 184. Yep, That's transition. The Orange Blossom special written by Irvin T. Rouse was an acclaimed success more than two decades before Johnny Cash released his version in 1965. Bill Monroe performed a defining bluegrass rendition that made the song a standard and a rite of passage among bluegrass players everywhere. The lyrics of the song are primarily focused on the train, and not as much the human component. Specifically, it's about the seaboard airline railroad that provided luxury passenger service between New York City and Miami. Johnny's version, however, reveals a transformation where the lyrics are transformed from a supporting role in the piece to a major part. The words are infused with human emotion and graze the soul of anyone who suffered through a nagging case of wanderlust or a gnawing need to hit the road, any road. It's the Orange Blossom Special, bringing my baby back, and I'm going down to Florida and get some sand in my shoes, or maybe California and get some sand in my shoes. I'll ride that Orange Blossom Special and lose these New York blues. John's 1965 recording showcases his proficiency with creating train sounds and sound effects. What Bill and the Monroe brothers did with the fiddle creating the sound of the whistle and more is masterful. There's no denying that. But Johnny's harmonica is a game changer. Listen carefully as he weaves the sounds of the train on guitar together with believable whistle sounds using his harmonica and his voice. Get ready for a palpable music experience of riding the rails. Long before music videos came along, Johnny Cash was busy painting a moving picture in the mind of his listeners. 1968, A Fulsome Redemption, as the exhibit is titled, gets right into the clay. Redemption is the central core of hope, and from a spiritual perspective, it could be said that redemption is the distillation of the entire text to a single word. I'm kind of curious who or what was behind the selection of this title for the concert. Who is it that needed redemption? Was Floyd Gressett, the preacher slash influencer framing it in such a manner as a soul-saving endeavor? We know the Reverend was a protagonist in the story. It was by his efforts that the performance came to fruition, and he went the extra distance to get Glenn Shirley's Greystone Chapel into Johnny's bandwidth. Was it a nod toward Johnny's professional redemption, following a dry spell and a period of personal struggle? Or was it institutional? Was Folsom Prison in need of public redemption? A reputation overhaul? Perhaps the answer is all of the above, a serendipitous redemption for all parties, and by extension, for all of us. Or perhaps it's none of the above. One thing is for sure, the twin themes of redemption and trains co-mingle easily and often with John's performances. He covered a song by Cheryl Crow called Redemption Song. Among its lyrics are the words, Oh, what mercy sadness brings, if God be willing. There is a train that's headed straight to heaven's gate, to heaven's gate. And on the way, child and man and women wait, watch and wait for Redemption Day. In the ballad of Casey Jones, John sings the woeful tale of a southbound mail train running eight hours late. Redemption is implicit at the end of the first verse. Caller called Casey about half past four. He kissed his wife at the station door. He climbed in the cabin with his orders in his hand, said this is the trip to the promised land. I find myself suspended between the hard human truth of the story and the reassurance of the promised land, repeated at the end of each chorus. This train, this train is bound for glory, Written by Sister Rosetta Tharp, is another cover that Johnny performed often. He's done it on his own as well as collaboratively. I like his versions of these songs about the faith. He sings from an honest place, aware of his own humanity, held up against a gospel truth. Redemption being the final equalizer. Let the Train Blow the Whistle, released in April of 1994, is a metaphorical masterpiece the rich lyrics are a prelude to mortality and what comes next. It's easy to spot the central theme of redemption, as John leans heavily into the dominant themes of his faith and finishes with a witty close. Tell the gossipers and liars I will see them in the fire. Let the train blow the whistle when I go. Let her blow, let her blow. Long and loud and hard and happy, let her blow. And then, No regrets, all my debts will be paid when I get laid. Thematically, it's an inversion of this train, with a stern admonition for improper living and a pretty clear sense for who's picking up the tab. I'd like to sneak in another song with a redemption theme, though it doesn't have a train reference. It's a powerful collaboration with Joe Strummer of The Clash. Johnny and Joe cover Bob Marley's redemption song. I'm also going to throw a nod to my good friend, Kenny, for the introduction to such a great musical collaboration. Whatever platform you use, you need to go find this one. It seems to me that Johnny Cash's faith, the nearness of his gospel upbringing, and his love for other people, is present in everything he did. He had a love for trains, and he has left us with dozens of songs about them. He recorded a few albums dedicated solely to his love for trains including Ride This Train and All Aboard the Blue Train. He even did a television show in 1974 called Riding the Rails. Back at the Folsom exhibit, while watching the documentary, I heard something that crystallized everything about his faith, transition, redemption, his music, his life, and the enormous symbolism and draw of trains. I believe it was said by Randall Grant, Marshall Grant's son. They were all just misplaced preachers. John, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I recognize that it doesn't even make a dent in the many volumes of material created by Johnny Cash. He made nearly 100 records. If you're interested in learning more about The Man in Black, I'd like to tell you about a couple of terrific books. House of Cash is written by his son, John Carter Cash. It's a treasure filled with pictures, notes from family and friends, anecdotes, and more. And also Johnny Cash, The Life and Legacy of the Man in Black, written by Alan Light. It's a comprehensive collection with photographs and artifacts from the Cash family archives. I learned a lot by reading them. Thank you again for spending the time today with Rails and Trails podcast. As always, I welcome and appreciate hearing from you and receiving your feedback. I'll be back in the next episode with a train trip on the Pennsylvanian and the Capital Limited from Philadelphia to Chicago. Until then, thanks. Hey, everybody. This is Daniel, and I want to thank you for spending some of today with Rails and Trails podcast. The work of Rails and Trails is to bring you stories based on actual human events that have happened while out across the country traveling on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. So far as possible, the stories are presented in an unvarnished manner. Only first names are used to preserve anonymity. I am guided by the idea that God comes to us in the grit and grain of our daily lives, and I have no doubt completely missed plenty of those visits. The illustrative account in Matthew 25 shows me what this looks like, and it's a text with the capacity to make me shudder. Each person introduced in this podcast is a human being and is due the same dignity as all of us. I am grateful for your interest in the podcast and humbly appreciate all supporters and subscribers. I love hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed, I hope you will do so today. Rails and Trails is my creation and is produced by Second Half LLC. Thanks again.